Hi, this is the 100 Londoners You Need to Meet podcast, and I'm your host, Louisa Starling. I wear many hats, which is ideal for the weather in London. I'm a journalist, tour guide, content writer, photographer, videographer, restaurant manager, English teacher, and now a podcast maker, I guess. I'm a big believer in Emily Wapnick's multipotentiality concept. And what is this, you might ask? Um, a multipotentialite is someone who follows many creative pursuits, someone to whom just one true calling won't do. I came across this term while watching her TED talk and it resonated with me. I have never been able to buckle down with just one job. So I sail through my many passions every day and the glue that holds them together is communication and people. So here I am, communicating with you. At the moment, I live in London, and while there are millions of people living in this amazing city, it can also feel like a very lonely one. And that is the barrier I want to break. Introducing you to a hundred incredible Londoners, their stories and the multitude of jobs, parts, and things they do to inspire you to take action, to start living your dreams, or who knows, to build the bridges that can take you to collaborate, to create something. I also want to see where this challenge will take me as every time I interview someone, they'll suggest someone awesome that they know, that they think I should meet, and subsequently, so should you. My hope is that this will create a chain of connections that will bring us all closer to each other. Okay. I'll stop with the introduction now, so just grab a cup of tea or put on those running shoes and let's meet someone new right now. Yay! And here we are with Jacqueline Schiffer, <laughs> another Londoner that you have for sure to meet. She is a force of nature, such, such, such an inspiring woman. Thank you so much for agreeing with me, for agreeing to do this with me. No, I, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm flattered that you wanted to talk to me. <laughs> uh, so when I started this project, um, I decided, okay, I want to do a chain like of people just suggesting other people, suggesting other people, but I need to start with a number at least that mm. would give me like a huge variety of people from all over. So I made a list of 25 people that I wanted to start by interviewing and you were on my list <laughs> oh, and then that's and amazing then, and then by pure telepathy like you called me saying you wanted to interview me for BBC Radio London for the show that exactly. you were doing and I was like oh, okay now this needs to happen <laughs> one of my favorite interviews I really I really enjoyed it and other people told me how much they enjoyed it as well so next time we'll just have to do longer you know yeah absolutely you know that that's very yeah cool. yeah you did a great job <laughs> I wasn't expecting for so many friends to be listening I was really happy mm. about it because uh, you shared it on your social media and then I, I shared yeah. it my stories and I had friends like filming themselves next to the radio and going like this <laughs> oh that's brilliant <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, my lovely, before we go through all the projects that mm. you are doing and all the work that you are doing at the moment and how you got there, because to me, like when we were talking, that was like, oh my god, because I'm a media studies girl, right? I'm a journalist. Yeah. I don't really do it. Well, I'm kind of doing it now, but I don't really work on TV or radio anymore. But um, you do. And so mm. I've, I've felt this huge connection with you the day that I met you. Um, and then yesterday I learned so many new things about you and we had a talk. <laughs> so just 
let's start a little bit by you telling me a little bit about yourself and okay my cat needs cuddles all right oh. can come. Oh. he is a needy babe hi say hello to hi me. hi cutie <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself tell me a little bit about where you come from and then we'll go from there okay well seeing as this is about Londoners you want to meet, I better just establish myself as a Londoner. And I think, I know, absolutely. I think when you've lived in London, well, I have lived in London for about 20 years now. And I know people are thinking, but you only look 20. Why are you saying that? No, I'm joking. You really do. You really do. You look like 23. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking because I'm literally double that. Oh, um, so I've lived in London for half of my life. Um, but I, but I think that take you know I'm, I consider myself a Londoner at this point, and it's been a brilliant twenty years here. But prior to that, I grew up on the south coast of England in Kent. My dad was a cricketer, so we travelled around quite a lot. And actually, I think that thing of being the new girl in school all of the time meant that actually I, I turned into a really good people person because I was always having to introduce myself and make new friends and, and so adaptability then, right talk exactly, about exactly exactly and I think it really translates it's funny when you look back on things because it really translates to the industry which I'm now in having to go and introduce yourself to someone and then find out all about them and, and that sort of thing when, when you're presenting or you're researching for, for a program or whatever it is that you're doing. So actually, I think my childhood is really significant to the person I am now and choices that I've made as an adult. And I went to university in Nottingham. I did textile design there. And that, that just blew my mind, okay? Yeah. I know now that you're a journalist, but you majored <laughs> in, in textile design. It's like, what made you go there, by the way? What, textiles? Yeah. Well, I always, I always used to make things and, and I think art was what I excelled in at school. And I come from a long line of creative women. So my my mum, God rest her soul, I lost my mum when I was 10. I kind of glossed over that one. But you know, sometimes I still find that quite a challenging thing to talk about, to be honest. But she was a, an amazing seamstress. She did really beautiful embroidery and tapestries and things. So when I grew up, it was something that I was always seeing. My grandmother on my dad's, so my dad's mum, she was also an amazing seamstress. She did a crochet, she does crochet. She's well into her 90s now. Yeah. And she just creates just beautiful, any, you name it, she can make it, she can crochet it. So it's just something which I almost feel has been handed down on both sides of my family, from my dad's side and from my mum. And I used to, I had a little sewing machine when I was five or six. You could sew paper with it. And I used to make little bags and stuff out of paper with this sewing machine. So it's something which I've always done. When I was at school and we were in art class, I would never just paint something. I was always be sticking onto it and kind of adding to it, you know. And so my teachers said that actually what you're doing is very textural. It's very textile-y. And I didn't really consider it textiles. I thought textiles was fabric. Um, and actually later on, it was fabric. And I, I specialised in interiors and I specialised into embroidery myself. 
and it was just the thing that I really enjoyed. I would say my first year at university, I was so creative. I still had all my creative juices flowing. I think my second and third year, maybe my creativity was stifled ever so slightly. And also, I think I had other ideas. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think I had other ideas in my mind as well about what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. So, yeah, there we go. So, yeah, I went to Nottingham and did university there. And then when I finished uni, I moved to London. It was 2001. And it was not long after 9-11, actually, which was a sort of worrying time to come to such wow. a big city. I had just had my birthday, my, my birthday is September as well. So it felt like a huge shift in my life and in the world. And I, and I remember London in that time because my dad had given me a trip to uh, a flight to London for Christmas. Right. And then we ended up in London around that time. And it was such, it was my first time ever in London. And it was so weird, like the policemen mm. outside, just like the tension that we could feel walking in the streets. Yes, absolutely. I think there is this kind of group atmosphere or, or I don't I don't know what the right there's a there's a better way of describing what I'm trying to say but like a collective energy if you like yeah about places and I definitely I definitely think that during that period it, it was anxiety people were feeling anxious because I imagine I didn't I don't really know now but I imagine the threat level here went up exponentially and so, yeah, there was definitely something in the air. And for someone who had lived on a seaside town beforehand, I'd been in Nottingham. So that was quite a nice sort of stepping stone, if you like, going from a seaside town to Nottingham, a mid-sized city to London. It was a really nice transition, but it was a funny time to move here. Uh, but the first job that I had in London was face-to-face -face fundraising. And so it meant that I went all around London, literally all around London, asking people to stop and asking people for money essentially but again it was that thing of talking to people absolutely communicating with all them about communication yeah absolutely. because that's something that I had done all through school all through university obviously we all communicate but my point is um I always used to get in front of the class and I'd be the one to do the presentations and I really enjoyed that communication so it was quite a natural fit for a job for me and it was quite a new thing on the streets of London at that point as well. So I would literally have people lined up to sign up with me for whatever charity I was doing. Because people were you, Jackie. Who can <laughs> you? <laughs> people were people were nice back then. No, I think uh, people have got sort of charity fatigue of that particular type of fundraising, unfortunately. But when it started, it was a really it was a really great way for charities to increase their income and their supporter base and I was really proud of that job I did it for a few years actually and um, then I left that and went to do something completely different which was recruitment <laughs> yeah. I, I often when I have when I have like my little cousins or or friends who have kids who are about to go to uni and their kids have no idea what they want to do because it's such an important mm. decision when you're like what 17 18 mm. and I always tell them don't worry. It might even yeah. end up that you're going to do nothing to do with it. You mm. know, because it, it's at least for our generation, I just think we just don't really do what we studied for. And it's fine. It taught you so many yeah. skills and, and, and it's everything is so transferable. Um, yeah. 
that it's completely fine. So here you are. First, you were working for charity, and now you're in recruitment. A girl <laughs> graduated in textile uh, design. I love it. I love it. But the glue that glues all of that together is communication and people. Yes. Isn't yeah. It? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, on the on the on the recruitment front, is calling people every day and essentially pitching to get new work on, and then you know really. I would say as a, as a recruitment consultant, I was a really ethical consultant. I was really advocating for my candidates. I really wanted the best for them because I think recruitment consultants get a bit of a bad rap. And when I was asked why I wanted the job, I think the correct answer is, oh, because I'm money motivated, uh, because it's all about your commission. But I wanted to help people get work. <laughs> that was the reason, that was my motivation. And, and tell me something, while you were being uh, a recruiter, did you already have this passion from being a presenter or was it still asleep or tell me a little bit about yeah, it? I had it. I had that. I, I, when I was in university, I, I would distinctly remember walking down a street in an, an area called Radford, which is it, it's a notorious area, actually. And I, but I remember walking through when, when you're in the first year, you're told don't go through Radford. It's really dangerous and stuff. And by the second year, we were all living there. And uh, but I remember walking through Radford and literally like a light bulb moment, I want to be a presenter. It was just in my head. And I think I hadn't necessarily realized or appreciated that presenting was a job or an option for me. I don't know if that was a lack of representation, probably. Um, but again, a telltale sign from when I was a child was there was something called teletext. Are you familiar with that? Teletext? Oh, yeah, on TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to that like weird, like all letters and this words, yeah, on the exactly. screen. I remember. So when I was a child, one of my favorite pastimes was getting teletext up, standing back and reading it like I was a presenter. I love that. <laughs> I love and so you could either find me sewing on my paper sewing machine or basically playing bamboozle or reading teletext. Bamboozle was a game on teletext, by the way, <laughs> on CFAX. So, um, so, so I was a little bit of a geek, I guess, looking back, but that was one of my favorite pastimes. So it had always been there. And I think, you know, when we're adults, I think if we look back at our childhood, the clues to what we would make us most happy as adults are always there. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. It's all in there. Even if you try and fight it, it's all in yeah. there. All you have to do is just search into what made you really happy when you were a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I did when I was at uni, I had a very small stint on university radio. Someone just said, oh, you've got a really great voice for radio. Do you want to come and co-present with me? So I did a couple of shows with this guy, Johnny. I wonder what ever happened to him. And I'm um, sure he's doing very well. And But also there was a competition for children's ITV and I entered this competition so at the time McDonald's were doing these Happy Meals where they used to give away these little Furby animals uh -huh. I remember. <laughs> and so basically in my video I've got a decorative mince pie here so in this video I had these little Furbies and I was like talking to these Furbies and I filmed it 
I think I must have borrowed a camera from someone. And so I filmed myself talking to these and kind of introducing myself. Anyway, sent this video in and I and I got shortlisted. I actually got an interview. I got an audition um, and to be on CITV. So I went over to Birmingham and I was in the studio interviewing the people that were on Children's ITV already. And it was it was amazing to be you in that environment. The fields, huh? You remember the feel. It, it, it was it was it was incredible to be there now I didn't get the gig it was the first thing I'd ever done you know and so if I'd have gotten the gig actually it might have been too soon uh, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily have been ready you know you believe that um, there's a reason for your career to having happened the way that it did and you're great absolutely absolutely but again it was another suggestion of that's I mean, I entered that because it, I wanted to do it. But then when I, I left uni, I moved to London, I needed to make money, I needed to pay my rent. And so before I knew it, nearly 10 years had gone by and I was approaching 30 and I thought, if I want to present, which I knew in my heart of hearts, but I hadn't really said it out loud because I was embarrassed and I felt like a, a wannabe and I felt that I would be judged and people would just think, oh, everyone wants to present, you know, you're just, you just want to show off and stuff. stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So I just quieted the voice. And then eventually I just decided I need, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I need to just go for it. And I was earning quite well as a recruiting consultant. So I saved up money and I thought, right, this is, this is the time that I need to just go for it. And I, and I left my job and I, and I went for it basically. That's and funnily enough, when I said it out loud, I said to people, I'm going to quit this job, which I'm doing very well at and earning all this money with because I'm going to go and I want to try my hand at media. No one was surprised. Everyone was like, yeah, of course. You've, you've always wanted to present. And I'm like, but have I? But yeah, of course, you've always, you've always said that. And I was thinking, I didn't remember telling anyone. <laughs> and somehow everybody knew. So it was almost like it was written. It was just about the timing, you know? Tell me, tell me this. What does it take to just jump and do it? Uh, some people need to be like shook out of their mm. bodies and be scared to do something, which is what happened to me. In my case, when yeah. I decided to really start following my dreams, I had just gotten ill and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. And that's oh, how gosh. I decided to change. Others just go like, no, let's do it. Boom change yeah what does what did it take for you so i've i've created a podcast uh, it's called it's called taking the leap and leap is an acronym and it's a really it really describes what the process that i went through so you know how i said the voice i had the voice in me but i wasn't i was quieting it i wasn't listening to it so the L in the LEAP acronym stands for listen. And I think it's about listening to that inner voice, you know, allowing yourself to just be still and hear what, what your heart of hearts, if you like, is actually saying, or, or your intuition is saying. It might be that external voices are saying something healthy and, and positive to you as well. And it's about allowing yourself to hear it because sometimes people are saying something, but you're not ready to hear it. So for me, it was about listening. And in my instance, it was listening to myself and then realizing that I needed to have been listening to other people as well because they were probably telling me and giving me the signs. The E in the acronym stands for equip. Now, my equipping myself was getting myself financially comfortable 
because quitting a job and just going for it is is not an easy thing to do and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it if you are gonna you know it, it can be a sink or swim thing so I am enabled myself to sink because I could sorry to swim <laughs> because I could pay my I could pay my rent because I had saved up but equipping for other people could be volunteering to get some experience it could be you know working really hard so you're doing your nine to five and then from seven till 12 whatever you're training or you're doing an online course or whatever whatever it is you're equipping yourself so that when you're ready to take action which is the a in the acronym and so a is is going for it uh you're you, you you've equipped yourself you're not just taking the leap blindly which you know if that's for you fine but i think taking action is all very well equipping yourself but if you're not actually just going to go for it then you know what's what's the point and then p stands for patience and recognizing that these things don't necessarily happen overnight. Yeah. And I wouldn't say my career definitely didn't happen overnight. It's definitely taken a number of years to get to a point where I, where I am now. And I've definitely taken the leap again in my life later on down the line, but that was my initial leap. And, and those steps are what enabled me to get there. That's, that's amazing. And I love that idea. When did your, when did your podcast start or begin and mm. you bring on to it and and what and who do you bring oh okay so my so it started last year so uh, january 2019 is when i launched and i was between contracts and i was in an interesting time because i'd been presenting the tv show that i was hosting for about eight years and I was getting ready to leave being on screen for that program. And I was just having a bit of a, you know, what, where am I at now moment? And so I thought I needed to have my own project. So it was funny, my, my housemate, my lovely housemate took a picture of me leaping. <laughs> and all of a sudden it all came to me, actually rewind, I was asked to do a talk and that's when the acronym came to me. Yeah, so that's when the acronym came to me and it just, it just made sense to me weirdly after seeing that picture that my housemate took but it was a few months later that I decided I think a podcast is a good place to have these conversations about other people that have taken the leap. The first person I invited on was um, an old friend of mine from my fundraising days called Hannah, one of the first people I, I, I met I guess in London and she, her story is so inspiring. She um was a mum and um she left school really young I don't think she went she didn't have any A-levels or anything like that anyway long and short of it is that she studied on Open University and became a doctor so she she went from having very little education higher education to becoming a doctor and she was literally studying whilst in her bed preparing to have a baby I mean it, her story is incredible one of my favourites yeah. Did you feel so that injection of uh, inspiration whenever you talk to other, can I call them leapers? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's call, not leapers, leapers. Let's. <laughs> I, I can imagine that you just feel such a strong connection and, and it's, it's pretty much what I want to feel and that I'm feeling doing my 100 mm. lenders that you need to meet because mm. you just, you, you feel such a connection and you feel so inspired and, and yeah. you just go through their lives and you go like, wow, people are yeah. 
definitely amazing aren't they yeah yeah so it's so it's ordinary people that have done amazing things it might be people that you know you have a little bit of familiarity with to be honest I haven't done loads of episodes because I had that window where I was between my contracts and then my contract for the tv show started again so I got a few episodes out and then um I became producer of the program. So I was no longer presenting it. I'd been assistant producer, but I became the producer. And that was great. But I was still having this crisis of what's, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then funnily enough, I again listened to my inner voice and other people around me. And I decided to leave that program altogether, the comfort of being in that environment and study age 40 journalism. <laughs> I know that's 10 years later that's where I 10 years later (laughs) this is so inspiring to me Becky because it just means you know sometimes it just doesn't matter what you studied if you have a dream you can you can make it happen like you're Mm. already working in media but you didn't have you know the media studies done but you were incredibly talented motivated and you wanted to do it And, Mm. and that's amazing later on you decided to okay let's do this. And then age 40, you decided to study uh, yeah. for it. And, and that's just amazing. Tell me a little bit about it. So was it, was it weird to already be working in media and then studying it? And just, just tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it, it, it was in a way. Um, I have to acknowledge there's a brilliant fund, which is called the Journalism Diversity Fund. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you, it, it, it really wants to help underrepresented voices help them to get a, you know a step into into media and so whilst I've been working for a while the price tag attached to studying media had always made it inaccessible you know and and I live in a house well I don't even I live in a flat and just I just never imagined that it would be something that I'd want I would be able to do and I had always looked I actually did a what's it um CP continued professional development in 2016 in media a free course this introduction to journalism so I'd always had this kind of thing but yeah as you say I I managed to establish myself as a tv presenter and radio presenter regardless of it and that was through lots of initially unpaid stuff and then I just kept going for it and 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 yeah I ended up doing this guy one show for years but after a while, I felt like I was living, eating, breathing that one program and I needed to just change things up. And I wanted to put myself in a position where no one could tell me no. So the type of presenting that I continue to want to do, you know, on TV, I see myself doing consumer type programs. So those shows where, you know, we go out and we, we answer the questions for the everyday person, you know. And so when I was talking to people who work in TV, they were saying, actually, do you know about consumers? Do you know about ethics? Do you and, and started asking me questions about media law and things that I didn't necessarily know about. So whilst I could present these things well, there were still a few questions which I the answer was was no. And it was then that they started saying, you know, you want to think about about studying journalism and there are some some fast track courses you can do so I mentioned the the journalism diversity fund because I applied for that twice first time um, my application wasn't successful I didn't have a place in journal school yet so it was not surprising a second time it's about tenacity literally you've got to be tenacious and I applied again and I and I got the funds so it meant that uh, you know they were going to help me with my fees 
and I could just throw myself into these studies for, for five months, for five and a half months. So going back to literally journalism school, essentially, being in a class of about 30 people, I was the oldest by about 20 years. <laughs> no, by, by about, I think the next oldest person was like maybe 30, so about 10 years so or something. Already, which was, but you also already had so much experience when maybe yes. a lot of them had none. They were just, you know, touching yeah. face for the first time. Yeah, it was it was an interesting environment to be in. And I, I really enjoyed it, actually. I made some good friends. And I think initially people didn't realise that I was older. And so sometimes the tutors would be saying something and they'd think that nobody had a frame of reference for what they were talking about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. And they'd be looking at me like, what? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which was really funny. And then eventually everybody realised, okay, so then it did mean that every now and again, I would be, so for example, when we did broadcast and we were using the auto cue and stuff and you know, I had done all of that and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't want to be that person of, yeah, I've done this, I don't need to bother. You know, I still wanted to have the full experience and just go in with an open mind. And there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know as well. I, I had a good idea of it and I may have been able to get some of the jobs I have now without that, but at the same time, it, it, it's, it's quietened the imposter syndrome that I had by going and getting the, the piece of paper, the accreditation. And yeah, it was, it was a really, it was one of the best decisions I made. It was one of the best decisions I made. And yeah, now I'm, I'm a TV radio presenter, but I also have what are you doing? this journalism now. And so I feel like it underpinned what I already had. And for me, it was, you know, I don't know, some people might think I didn't need to do it, but I needed to do it for me. So ah, this is such yeah. an inspiring story. Thanks, babe. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Sure. <laughs> and, and, I think, and I think people can see themselves in you in so many other fields. Mm. Uh, just you know just just do it just just if you yeah. have a dream just you have to try it right we only have this once and you and you, you have, have to, to try yeah and and you know what I said it before about patience be patient with yourself as well don't be so patient that you keep putting it off <laughs> um but do be patient because things don't necessarily happen overnight you do have to be tenacious you do have to dust yourself off try again if, if uh, God, I'm singing Aaliyah now, if at first you don't succeed. <laughs> but, you know, you do have to do all of these, <laughs> these things because, and, and sometimes, you know what, if something doesn't work out, and again, I had this conversation with myself, at least I know I tried. And then I can go back and do whatever I had been doing before. But I would never have forgiven myself if, you know, a few years beyond the age I am now, I hadn't tried it. Yeah. And who's to say, I wouldn't have tried at age 50. I don't know. Who knows where I'll be at that point. Yeah, but Absolutely. One one of, uh, I always think about, you know, Vera Wang, who made her first mm. dress design. She was after her 40s. Yeah. I saw this TV show on this woman who was a nurse and mm -hmm. she was in her 50s. And her biggest dream was to, to be a chef. And she went on Chopped. You know, oh, wow. chopped and yeah, yeah. one and she's now a head chef in a bistro in, in the States and she is wow. in her fifties. So I think of these people and I think throughout everything that I've done, I always try and, you know, get inspired by these examples of mm. you're not going to do it if you don't try it. I was reading the, exactly. um, the artist's way 
And there was a part saying, ah, but if I start learning the piano now, how old will I be until I am, you know, good at it? And the answer mm. is the same age you will be if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. So I'm always like, okay, let's do it. At least I tried. And, um, and um, patience is so important, as you say, yeah. in, in all my projects, I've, I had to, I had to learn to really be patient for, for things to, to start happening when I started building my own business um I had to I had to have other side jobs just to bring me you know to bring in the money and when I when I when my blog was like going really big in Portugal one of the things mm. people asked me to do talks was like what's the biggest intention when you start a blog and I said well it is not to expect presence if you want to mm. blog about something you have to be passionate about it blog you know as much as you can but with passion and not expecting anything in return because if you go into that just expecting presence free stuff you're nothing's ever going to happen so yeah yeah and I I can relate to that with the presenting thing as well because you know what you had said about you know when I was saying about feeling that I was going to be judged and you were talking yeah. about oh yeah you know people thinking you just want to be famous and if that is your motivation, then you're not going to get anywhere exactly. because it is, it's not enough for that to be your motivation. And along the way, I met loads of other people, some of whom are doing brilliantly. And I could see in them uh, that they had that, that tenacity, that determination, and it wasn't about just being known. That is a, a byproduct of being successful, I guess, but it isn't the motivation. And for those people of which that was the motivation, they just kind of fell by the wayside, you know? We, we kind of lost them along the way and they switched it up. Absolutely. So, yeah, have, have I really a real motivation that. for something that you're starting. Have a real, real motivation. Exactly. I remember a few years ago, I started a project with four other girls and I told them while we were starting, I said, this has what it takes to become really big, but mm. you know, we're not going to get any money out of it for quite a few years. Yeah. And they were like, oh yeah, we're all in, we're all in. And I could tell as they were dropping out one by one mm. that they expected it to start mm. really, really soon. And I said, I always told you this has what mm. it takes to be big, but it money cannot be the motivation for it. Mm. It has mm. to be the passion. And if you don't yeah. have the passion, you can be there for the beginning, but you're not going to stay in the long run. So yeah, yeah. gaps for everything else. Exactly. And it's again, it's that thing of they say if you would do the thing for free, then you know how passionate you are about it. So when I was starting out in media, you know, I did loads of community radio. So I was on community radio for years, you know, not getting paid, putting in all the work and outputting brilliant programs, but not getting paid. But it's because I was passionate about it. And yeah. it's, you know, a lot of the initial presenting that I did was a lot of student events or student productions. And again, you know, I was I was not getting paid to do it, but I was getting experience from it. And I was doing it because I knew that I needed to put in that that graph. So then eventually I started getting paid yeah. and, uh, you know, I had to get a little part time job. It was awful is in the job was all right, but the environment was awful. It was, honestly, God. <laughs> anyway um but it enabled me to 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 do the other things you know so so yeah I understand I totally understand Is and we, have, we have a little bit like 10 minutes so okay. before, before I go into our 10 fiery questions mm. I would just love for you to talk a little bit about something else that I absolutely love you are such an advocate for natural hair yeah and i want to know everything about it you you are yeah. one of the most beautiful women i've ever met i've ever met 
And I want, to know, I want to know all about this. <laughs> no, you are. I mean, come on. Okay, if someone is just listening to us on Spotify, you have to go on the on the YouTube channel as well <laughs> and, and see how beautiful Jacqueline is. But tell me a little bit, because you are an advocate for natural hair. Tell me what it entails, what, what do you do about it, and the fruits of what you've seen. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think at some point I'm going to do a, a radio program about this. Was it a movement or a moment, <laughs> the natural hair movement? So a few years back, um, so yeah, you know, my hair is is very much kind of Afro curly. It's been in a, I had it in Bantu knots before I jumped on here and I just quickly <laughs> unzipped them. And, <laughs> and um, so I think the thing with, with natural hair, as in for black people, the hair which naturally grows out of our heads for years, um, when we were unfortunately as people enslaved, we were told that our hair was, it was it, a lot of derogatory terms were used about our hair and, and we had to cover our hair. And, and in order to get along in life, people would then start to try and assimilate. So they would straighten their hair. And that was literally to be considered acceptable or professional. And that's, there's a hangover of that still in society very much today. So people kind of having their hair in its natural, kinky, coily state is, you know, sometimes, it's, sometimes for people it's, it's unfamiliar for them, particularly, for example, in the workplace. Sometimes even in education, if, if your parents haven't necessarily worn their hair naturally. So, so it, 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 it's, it continues then for people to have to switch up their hair from doing what it naturally wants to do to assimilating to being in a Western society and pulling it and straightening it and covering it with weaves or whatever. Now, people's motivation for doing it, for doing that, is, is individual and unique to them. And I hold no judgment and I understand. And for years, years ago when I was 18, I had a weave. I remember seeing a picture of Naomi Campbell in a magazine because there was literally no other black women that were being often put in magazines and thinking, oh, I'd like my hair like that. So I had, I had a weave. Um, and then I had my hair relaxed and on the back of my neck, I have, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Louise, but I've got a, like a white spot on the back of my neck where all the pigment has gone. And that was from relaxing my hair as a, as a teenager. So the process of relaxing your hair is putting on a, like a white cream and essentially it changes the structure of your hair. It straightens your hair. We call it relaxing. It's not very relaxing at all because when it's being done, you can yeah. literally part of the process. You can literally feel your skin burning. It shouldn't, but when I used to do it twenty odd years ago, more than that, um, it, it, you could feel your your skin burning. And the famous line that you would always get in the salon would be, um, you know, you would say, "I can." Is it? Is, they'd say, "Is it burning?" And you say, "Yes." And if it wasn't burning, it hadn't been on long enough. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. So you'd know that it was doing its job if it started to burn you. you yeah. Anyway, um, you, that can't be good for you. But it was just part of a, a lot of black culture in 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 this Western society. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Just you know, part of the course. You know, if you're a teenage girl, you get your hair permed, you get your hair straightened. And it's all about wanting to fit in, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. That yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, wanting to fit in, exactly. And, uh, you know, I always wish, I, I think 
I think if my mum had, you know, I, I mentioned very briefly that my mum died when I was when I was ten, yeah. when I was little, so she, I was ten, and I think she was she had a she had a kind of hair naturally, she had Afro hair, and you know, my dad did an amazing job of bringing us up, but I think that maybe my mum would have had influence over what I was doing with my hair. So my sister and I were just trying to get along, you know, and just being teenage girls and just doing what was available to us. And when my dad, bless him, took his two black hairdressers, that's what they did. That's what they yeah. said. So yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. So that's my experience. But it's not unique. And many, many black girls, women have had a very similar experience, no matter where they are. So I grew up outside of London before I came into London and had a very similar experience to other people. So I was doing a radio show on a community station years ago. And at this point, I didn't have any chemicals in my hair, but I used to press my hair with GHDs. So my hair was still straight. So I, I'd had braids for a while and on all the, all the chemical straightening had been cut out of my hair and it was a decent length, but it was still straight. So I was still assimilating. And I remember doing this, this conversation on the radio and we were talking about how long black women, how long we spend in the hair salon because we can be in there all, day you know it's a I don't know it's a bit of a, a, a rite of passage but sometimes you can be in there all day for various reasons sometimes it's because someone's gone off and done something for an hour and then come back to you and sometimes it's just what you're doing takes a long time this man called up and he said you know I don't understand why as black women you try and make your hair do the very opposite thing of what it naturally wants to do i.e straightening it when actually it wants to be curly and it wants to stick up or do whatever and although I probably heard that said many times before, that really stuck in my head. It really just got me. And I thought, why, why am I doing, why am I straightening my hair? Albeit not with chemicals, but I'm still straightening my hair. And it's not because of the style, because it looked all right. It didn't look magnificent like the curls do. <laughs> um, so I eventually started to kind of, come up with more curly um, styles and simultaneously online you know YouTube was really picking up and there was a bit of a movement happening in America where lots of YouTubers were suddenly talking about how you care for your natural hair and so for me it was really the start of you know lots of events were happening in, in town like the natural hair show or yeah the afro hair show that had been happening for years, but there was more of natural hair presence within that show. And then there were other things happening. Because I was doing radio, people, you know, I, I would invite people onto my program to talk about natural hair, because suddenly I had this renewed interest and energy for it. And as a result of meeting and con connecting with people who were having these conversations and we started to, you know, I, I became really passionate about it. I had just started on What's Up TV as well. So the first series I did, I had pressed hair, straight hair. And then I thought, actually, if I'm on TV and young girls are seeing me, yeah. then let me be a bit of an example of, it's okay to have your natural hair yeah. on TV. Yeah. So then it became a real motivation for me to represent myself in what I felt was my most authentic self. And as I say, other people, you choose what you want to do, but that was what was working for me. And it became a motivation for me. And so I think, 
you know, the platform that I was on or the radio and the growing platform I had on TV meant that eventually people would say, oh, will you come and chair this conversation we're having about natural hair? Or will you come and sit on the panel and, and talk to us about it? And it became part of my MO, if you like. And so everything that I would do would be hashtag natural hair, hashtag natural hair. Now I let my hair do the talking. I don't necessarily scream from the hilltops about it as much as I used to, but it's still an important part of who I am as an individual, as part of, of my makeup, you know? And being and someone working in media, and you're, you're, people people get uh, access to you. I can only imagine what it does for for young girls, you know, seeing themselves yeah. presented and seeing, oh, look at that. It looks amazing. Mm. Look at her. She looks yeah. beautiful. I don't need to do all of this. And I can just, you know, live my authentic self and, and, and have my natural hair. I can only imagine it as being just wonderful. Yeah. And I do, I do recall, I know we've got a wrap up scene, but I do recall seeing this little girl and she had a little Afro puff basically the same way I wear my hair most days as well and we I looked like an older version of her and she was just kind of staring at me and I just thought gosh you know you don't really get to see you in other places that so say for example on tv and what's brilliant is that it's happening more now than than it has in a long time but that's been a long time coming you know so it is it's really switching up and I'm really happy to see other people who've got much higher profile than I have uh, representing natural hair whether they want to do it because they just want to have their hair like that or because it's part of their motivation as well whatever and and I do want to stress you know there are many people who do not want to wear their hair naturally and I want to stress that that is also fine yeah. but I do I do encourage people to have a little think and a little listen as to why you feel um that you wouldn't want to wear your hair naturally if you, if you know what I mean I, I do think it's important to kind of question what's informing your decision you, you know if it's societal pressure that you're feeling yes. or if it's literally a style you want to wear you might not, and, even, yeah. you might not even notice because it's so inside your brain already right you might yeah. not even understand if it is because you want to or because yeah life has told you to yeah absolutely yeah yeah all right, this is amazing. Thank you so much for 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 teaching me all about that. And this, I've always seen I've always seen your Instagram posts, and I had noticed, you know, your hashtag natural hair and everything. Yeah. I've never met you with pressed hair. You've always had those magnificent curls ever since. I met you. So yeah, this was something that really interested me. And you working in mm. media, it I mean, it's just it's just so powerful. It's just so powerful. But let's go to our round of ten questions. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. I would like to know your favorite word. Do you have a favorite word? I'm going to say resplendent because I think if anything is resplendent, then it must be magnificent. So that's what we'll go with. Resplendent. Love it. Love it. <laughs> favorite book? Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Ooh, I need to read that. Yeah, I, it's brilliant. I, and, and I was going to reference it earlier, but earlier when you were giving me a compliment and I went like this and I in inside I kicked myself because she always says you know as women someone give you gives you a compliment yeah, we're like, don't, uh, yeah don't diminish yourself so I was really annoyed that I did that so I'm glad I get to say you're yay. a guest runs, let's own ourselves yeah, I need to read that I'm gonna add it to my list right after this uh yeah. last series you binged or are binging right now uh it's something called industry and I binged it and it was it was great. It was about weirdly about the finance world, but it was like skins. I don't know if you ever saw that 
program skins, but skins meets the world of finance and kind of rock, sex, drugs, rock and roll, but in a world of random, but brilliant. Oh, oh and this is us. This is us. I love. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is us. I could talk about it for hours. It's yeah. my favorite shows in the world. Oh, so good. Uh, a cause you care for. Black Minds Matter. And it's like a, it's it's about black mental mental health within the black community. Beautiful. Three pillars in your life. It can be people. It can be traits and personality. What what is it? I would say communication. <laughs> funnily enough. Yeah. Um, honesty and family. Beautiful. Yeah. Well done. Um, starting over is very necessary yeah. um often <laughs> often very necessary beautiful where can people find you babes and i would say and i always oh, just want to add to that last one oh, oh. not as scary as people think very true as well yeah very i just uh, as a, as a just think but anyway and um, people can find me on everything jacks chefs so j-a-x-x-s-h-e-p-s and uh, yeah i'm on all socials at jack chefs you can find me on BBC Radio London as well, doing a radio show. Uh, you can until find me on my website. Now, this one, right? This one until that? the one you introduced. Yes, yes. Until March, beautiful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and <laughs> and JacquelineShepherd.com. Beautiful. And name me, please, another Londoner I should interview now after you to start the beautiful <laughs> chain of people. Yeah. Why? There is a guy called Dapo Adiola. He is a children's illustrator and an award-winning children's illustrator. I, I, heard, I heard his interview. You interviewed him. I did. Oh, I, think, I, think, I think he should definitely. He's, he's so entrenched in London, for, for one. He used to live around the corner from me, actually. We didn't know each other then, but he did used to live around the corner from me. He's seen London change you know you've seen the gentrification that's gone through you can talk about london you know and it's changing face but also he's so passionate about representation he he illustrates beautiful children's books and they're really representative and also he's passionate about ensuring that other illustrators are acknowledged and recognized because children's book illustrators don't often get their their dues so i think he's he's a london lady shouldn't he <laughs> and and if he says yes i will for sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he will. <laughs> I, I I loved his interview. I I was listening to your to to BBC Radio London, and you interviewed. Yeah. Him. He was your first person on that night. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, that's right. Wow, this man. Because yeah. when he talks, like the world listens, isn't it? Like so great. So yeah, powerful. he's so great. Oh, yeah, right. so you'll get to have a longer conversation with him than I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> assuming he does this, um, <laughs> but anyway, that's my suggestion. <laughs> text him and say you're going to be contacted by this I'll do girl. It now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mm -hmm. this was amazing. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thank you. Yeah, so it's my pleasure. It's so Thank nice to talk to you. One of my hundred Londoners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, I will stop recording but I'm still going to talk to you for a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Watching and listening, everyone. <laughs> and that was it for today on 100 Londoners You Need to Meet. If you know someone who's incredible, who 
the something for others or who pivoted their life around during the pandemic or who is just the most wonderful human being you know, do not hesitate to email me on 100londoners at gmail.com. I am your host, Louisa Starling, and also for now the producer of this tiny podcast. Tabel Lopes is my friend who made the original soundtrack. And, you know, doing this just keeps my heart warm and helps me still believe in the good that there is in human beings. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.